Hey, good people. This is your NIDOM back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, the long game. The long game is my starting point. I had to sit with this one for a minute because I have a number of thoughts. Uh, I have a piece of paper. It's no list. But there are a lot of concepts on this paper that I believe relates to this thing called the long game. I was going to, first I wanted to call it a dilemma, but I just did a reflection on the dilemma. I wanted to call it truth, or I start with the truth. I just did a reflection on the truth. So I sat with this paper with all of these little concepts splattered across it. And tried to kind of meditate for a minute before I came and hit the record button. And then the, the idea of a puzzle came to me. Like you're putting together a puzzle. And then the idea of strategy came. You have to strategize to put the puzzle together. But the puzzle in itself, the puzzle in and of itself is a strategy. So I was like, you have two puzzles? So anyway, <laughs> you're like, what? Anyway, I think it's about um, the long game. I think. I don't know. We'll see. Well, that's where I'm going to start the long game. I'm strategizing to complete the puzzle, the long game. So hope you stick around for that. If you can tell, I have a cold. So I'm stuffy. I'm breathy. Scratchy. <laughs> Stuffy, breathy, and scratchy. <laughs> so I hope you can tolerate it. Pretty sure it doesn't sound good. But I really want to work this out. Uh, I have some real decisions to make. And I need to process. So I'm here to do that. Because I really need to see what happens in my thinking when I get to the other side of this reflection. So I'm pressing through even though I have a little bit of a cold. Uh, it's not terrible, but it's annoying. It's noticeable. And the last reflection I did, I think I recorded on a Saturday, I was getting sick. And if you listen to that one, when I, I listened to it this morning, I kept hitting the pause button because I was coughing and sneezing. So I don't know if you guys can hear it. The pause, I kept pausing. <laughs> and uh, I was coughing. It just, it, was, it just, anyway. But you guys have listened to that one, so so bear with another one, okay? All right, you guys. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. This is tough, y'all. I'm having a hard time breathing. <laughs> the two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two... Oh, sorry. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lead into tenants associated with critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs around power as they show up in race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. 
This project is unedited and it is unscripted, as you can tell. Otherwise, you will hear all of the nasty and the itchy and the scratchy and the congested, the congestion. But here it is. It's unedited, unscripted. To know more about this project or me, feel free to go to my website at youranidom.wordpress.com. All right, you guys. I'm going to try to get in here because it's really tough to talk. Uh, but I literally, really need this reflection. So hopefully you can bear with me on that. So I have two textbooks in front of me. Two books, rather. I have The Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut, Dr. Beatrice Chestnut. And then I have Gifts Differing. Is Isabel uh, Briggs Myers when the Ford is done by her son. Peter B. Myers. So anyway, um, I'll tell you a little bit why those two books are are in front of me, and they are open. So I do have some text that I think might be related to that. Before I get into the reflection, I just want to start naming some of the things that are on this paper, and we'll see if it if I drop into a rabbit hole. But let me try to name some stuff that are on this paper. No list, just scribbled. Words and concepts splattered across the page. Pearls to swine. Sexual energy. Uh, the membrane. I already told you strategy. Long game. Uh, perseverance. I'm sorry, preservation. Uh, the intellect, excuse me, I'm sorry, intelligence and the power of the ruling class, leadership dilemma, self-protection, solidarity, possessiveness, home and hearth, and intolerance and suffering. So you're probably like, whoa, how do those things relate? They're all in me right now. So I do believe they are coming from the same bubble, if you will. So I'm going to start off by uh, doing, talking a little bit about work, because obviously this is what's driving this, partially driving this reflection. So I had a, I was on a work call yesterday and uh, work call because it's remote. So it's all Zoom. And a few things are located in that, uh, in that hour that I spent with those individuals that I want to unpack. But, um, I believe they're related to my, the puzzle and the strategy because I'm learning some things about this organization and, and I realize I have to decide who I'm going to be in this organization. I have to decide who I'm going to be in this organization. That feels really, really interesting to say. I've got to decide who I'm going to be in this organization. Because starting off, the invitation was set for me to come in and be myself. Now, the reality is, did they really give me the invitation to come into that job and be myself? Really? Really? I have to ask myself that. Or did I want 
that to be the invitation. Was I naive, which I probably was, naive enough to believe that the invitation was set for me to come and be myself. And I'm thinking to myself, where did that come from in my head that I can go into this job and be myself? And I don't know if you, you know, I don't know what you think about that. Do we go into jobs believing that we can be ourselves in those jobs? And maybe because I have spent the last three years prior to this job taking on a job that was not me. I already, I went into those jobs knowing that I had to play the game because they weren't, they weren't at a match to my training. They weren't on, they weren't, they weren't a, a match to my years of uh, experience and my training. But I took those jobs all the same because you know I've been trying to get back on my feet. Uh, I dealt with some hardship, so I had to, you gotta, I gotta work. So I took a job in my industry, in my field, but not at my level. So I took those jobs and I knew that I wasn't at my level. I knew I had to play the game. Well, this job presented itself as being more on my level. And I thought that trans would translate to me being more of myself. So, um, but I'm kind of, as I'm talking right now, things are clearing up for me. So thank you guys for being here. Because literally, things are clearing up in my mind. I can, there's a breakthrough that's happening. Um, so I thought because this job was more in, align- more in alignment to my training, in my experience, that I could be more of myself and bring that training and experience to the table. I made that assumption. One of the things I'm learning about the job, and this is something that I've been really dealing with all year. I really have had three jobs this year. Like three jobs, two organizations. But they all have been in, you know, in some form of leadership. And I really have dealt with this concept of leadership all year. At the end of every year, at the end of every year, I try to come up with a theme, and I try to reflect on the year. What what was the theme for me? It's clear that this year the theme was about leadership uh, for me, and that I, I really believe that's an important part of my journey. Just because about a year or two ago, I told you guys in this project, I said I really have a hard time seeing myself as a leader. And when I say that to people, they laugh because they're like, they're like, do you know the things that you've done? Yeah, I've done those things, not because I saw myself as a leader. I did those things because they needed to get done. <laughs> you know what I mean? They needed to get done, and I felt drawn to do it. Leadership. <laughs> but I've never really done those done leadership inside of a system. I've always done leadership independently. So I think in my head, I was wrestling with not, uh, I was really wrestling with, I don't know if it's validation or it's structure. So the TE in me, extroverted thinking, which is my auxiliary function, is very well aware of the systems of the outer world, systems that have been validated and proven. I was not, I didn't see myself as a leader in this external 
structure validated, not consistently. And I think that's what was, that was the, the thing. Like I wasn't getting, uh, I did, I did have some time where I've gotten paid to do leadership. I still was struggling. Like even when I say half of my time has been in leadership, that's true. But it's hard for me to say, but I am a leader. <laughs> I've been in leadership, but it's hard for me to say I'm a leader. Anyway, that's what I was wrestling with this, this year. And so there you have the thought. I've been thinking about the word administrator versus leader. Nope. Let's, let me tell the truth. I've been thinking about the word administrator, manager, and leader. A lot of times those words get used interchangeably, but they're different and they could and it can also be different uh, based on the organization or the industry that you're working in. So I get that. I get it. But anyway, that's what I've been wrestling with this year. So I'm in this new job. And uh, I'm an administrator, director, one of the directors. And uh, it just felt like a better fit for my training and my background. And because it was a better fit, I thought I could bring more of myself to the table. Now, as I think about it, when I took the job, I didn't think I could bring all of myself to the table, but definitely more of myself to the table. Here's what's, what happened, though. I got into the job, and my boss has an appreciation for what I bring to the table. She really does. The conversation I've been trying to have with her in the last week, and it's been something that I didn't plan to have this conversation with her, but it's been bubbling up all the same. While she has an appreciation for what I bring to the table, how do I say it? She doesn't understand the power dynamics that are at play here. Part of me wants to say that she's blocking the power, but I don't really know. I don't know if she's blocking it. I think she's protecting her power, which, duh, that would make sense. Conceptually or intellectually, I don't have a problem with that. This is why I think strategy is going to be very important for me. I think it would only make sense for this woman to protect her power. But I have to figure out what I'm going to do in a space where she's protecting her power all while having an appreciation for what I can bring to the organization. Do you guys understand that as a dilemma? So anyway, I didn't really understand the power dynamics on two levels. I didn't understand that I was going to come in that organization and take up space the way I'm taking up space. It's, it's a, it is a, it is a, it is a puzzle. There are two puzzles. I have to tell you guys what those two puzzles are. Hopefully I can get to that in this reflection. I did not know that I was going to come into this organization and take up the space I'm taking up. I think I'm taking up this space because it is a natural fit like, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I'm an INTJ and I'm an INTJ 8. And that 8 is significant to this organization. 
because it's going to take somebody with a level of fierceness and force to push through all of the networks of resistance. So this organization, <laughs> I just, oh my God. Anyway, I'm laughing at something that I saw yesterday. Okay. I'm sorry, you guys. I will not, I will not explain it because it will take me into a rabbit hole, but it is in my brain. So let me try to push that out of my head. Okay. So this organization is about change. That's what they, we do. We promote change. Yet the system itself is, has a lot of networks. I call it muscle that resist change. <laughs> it's, it's really ironic. So in order to, so the puzzle that I am really interested in, now I'm going to be honest, I'm very interested in this particular puzzle of how to further an agenda. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. Some of you might judge me for this, but that's okay. I'm going to be honest and then you can judge me. My number one interest is to see how I can further an agenda that I have lived with my almost my entire life without a doubt starting from at age 16. But I really believe I can go back to childhood with this agenda. Now, naturally, that agenda has matured as I've matured and I went to school and, you know, got training and experience, but it's really the same agenda. So for those of you who are judging me, you kind of kind of cut me a little slack because I've lived with this agenda my, let's just say, most of my life. It's what they say the INTJ will mastermind a thing and try to figure out how to get this thing done, right? Uh, I didn't fully know I didn't fully know that I would be able to do it, but as I got into the organization, I really believe, I really believe there's an opportunity for me to at least put a dent in that agenda. I really do. But it is going to require some strategy, like some puzzle building, if you will, for at three levels. The organization is, uh, was founded to do work related to my this agenda. This so part of the puzzle is to get the organization to commit to a particular strategy. So this organization, based on its work, can take on a number of different strategies. Do ten strategies. So I am trying to make a case. I'm trying to get my agenda in as one of those strategies. So that's one thing I have to. I have to do. That's one thing I want to do. The other, the other piece, which is really, it's another puzzle, and I'm just now learning this. Well, no, I'm not just now learning it. The other puzzle is being positioned in that organization so I could fulfill that agenda. Right, so one thing is getting this organization to take on this agenda that I have as one of its strategies. 
And then the second thing is to make sure I'm properly positioned in the organization to to implement, to execute that. That's another puzzle piece. That's another puzzle, rather. So those are two puzzles. Those are two objectives. One is getting the agenda on the docket. The other one is getting me positioned so I can fulfill the agenda. Because I don't think, yeah, it's for, it's, it's for me to move it. It's, I'm the one that sees it in my introverted intuition. So it's for me to move it. And then the third puzzle that I'm realizing is how to keep myself free of the networks in that organization that promote the status quo. The networks in that organization that prevent change. And I'm going to use the term sticky fingers. It's like everybody's fingers are trying to manipulate the situation. (laughs) And it all is about, it's all about ineffective, I don't know if it's ineffectiveness. Lacking, I don't know what it's about. I don't really, I don't know yet. I don't know what it's about. I don't I don't know why. I really don't know why. Here's what I can tell you now. It's I the term is called spinning. So we're talking about what we want to do. We talk about what we want to do. And then we talk about why we can't do it. And we spin. This organization is doing a lot of spinning. So here's where I struggle. I'm not gonna sit here and spin with y'all. I'm not going to spin with you. I'm not going to talk it out. I'm not going to be on a repeat over and over again talking. I'm not going to commiserate with you when it's not working. Because, you know what I mean? Like, there's some people struggling with it. And there's some. I'm not going to commiserate with you. <sighs> this is where I, this is where I need an extrovert. I need extroverted feeling. This is really what's going to, this is the struggle. I can see it. I'm sorry, y'all. This is the problem. With, this is a real, real journal. <laughs> I'm really, really processing a problem. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can see the problem. I don't have extroverted feeling. I don't give a bleep about the commiseration. Am I saying that right? I don't I don't want to spill in the problem because guess what? I am a problem solver. And I don't think they have a lot of problem solvers. Now they have people in that organization that have ideas on how to solve the problem, which isn't I hate when people poo-poo on ideas. Like I you gotta start with an idea. There's nothing wrong with having ideas. Now you, the next step is you have to start implementing and moving those forward. Well, that's what I want to do. But until I can get properly positioned in that organization, and I don't think it's a change in my title. I don't feel, I don't think changing my title is going to do that. 
I was trying to explain it to my boss. I don't need a change in my title, but I do need a change in my position or positionality because I'm spending time doing something that is not the best use of my gifts. Now, for the most part, you guys have heard me talking about how yummy this job is. Well, in the last six weeks, I'm now jumping into, uh, I'm moving into uh, uh, kind of like the second tier of my job. So the first, the first two months, the first two and a half months, I was in one tier. And now I'm dropping into a second tier. That second tier, that second tier is not yummy, but it's necessary. So I don't begrudge that second tier. I don't begrudge it. But it is not. Uh, it's not the yummy. I'm going to tell you why it's not the yummy, but I'm going to, it's necessary. But let me say this. My goal is to get that second tier properly structured so it can run on its own. And that's going to take a while. First, about a thousand reasons, you know, being extra, extra, but it's going to take a while to get that second tier of my job to be self-sustaining so that I can then move on to the third tier. And I believe it's in that third tier that I'm going to be able to do the real work. I can go after the I can go after the agenda. See, the first tier, I believe it's, I think I'm okay. That first tier, I'm going to get that agenda on the table. I believe that I can because I think it, it aligns with my boss's values. I think this is what she wants from me. This is why she's, this is why I was hired. This is, so I think getting that agenda on the table is not going to be as hard as the other two tiers. So, but I think the hardest tier for me is the middle one. Let me tell you why. Because it's people. Tier one is conceptual. And tier, and tier three is strategy. Tier two is people. And it's pe- okay, so let me, so this is another thing, and I have this on my paper. I've done leadership with people before, but these people, this is different. And you know, y'all know, y'all know in a year, I'm going to be like, that was good experience for me to have. I, I've got to learn this. This is just different. And, which is one of the things I want to talk about in this book, I've got to have some patience. Like, who did I think I was? Like, who do I think I am? I'm just going to go into this organization and turn it around overnight? <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. It's just four months. Four months. And I'm frustrated. Not because I'm not frustrated because I'm not in tier three, 
I'm not even frustrated that the, with the work of tier two. I'm not frustrated by that. I'm frustrated by this network. I'm frustrated by this network that's resisting change. And this thing that I feel people are doing is push bringing me into the nothingness. That's what I'm going to call it. It's a web of nothingness. Oh my gosh. L-O-T-H-I-N-G-N-E-S-S. Nothingness. Because you're not doing anything. They're busy, but not impactful. They're not making it. They're not. And part of the problem that this is to be fair to them. Lowell has really given them a real objective. Of for impact. The objectives are based on activity right now. And not on impact. So the things that I do in tier one is about trying to get, you know, there are three directors. It's about trying to teach and sell and convince. I'm on a campaign. I'm trying to, and I do that fine. You know, it's like you, whatever. I'm your peer. I'm your subordinate. I don't even care in that space. It's, it's a campaign and I'm teaching and I'm building for that agenda so that we have a clear goals for this organization. That is fine. It's not easy, but it's fine. It's that second, so then that second tier is not my element. And I'm, I'm like stepping on landmines. I'm getting in trouble because people want me to come in and have relationships with them. <laughs> and I don't mind having a relationship with you based on getting the work working. You want me to have another kind of relationship with you, and I don't have it. And what when I was trying to talk to one girl yesterday, and she told me she was proud of me. She's so freaking condescending. This is another piece I want to talk about. This is the problem with me being an eight. So this is part of my strategy too. I gotta keep myself in check because there's some kind of oh, there's some people up in there. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, and as, and like I told my sister recently, I don't linger around with, uh, unwell people, emotionally immature people, power hoarding people, toxic people. I don't linger there. I don't linger at it. I've never liked it as a kid. And then I didn't have the control over my body. Because my mother controlled my body, right? As a kid. And then as I became an adult and I started controlling my body, I needed to learn, like, what is this thing that I don't like? What is it? I didn't have a name for it. Going to school, I learned, I learned, I learned, I learned. Then having the resources, right? The resources to be able to control, to give, to be able to control my world so I can put myself and my body in places that are in alignment with my values. 
So that's that's the process. And now I'm in a job. These people are not in alignment with my values. They're not. They're not. And this is where I get stuck. Because then I said, and I've been telling myself, why are you, what's the real objective? Well, the real objective for me is to really get that agenda done. To get that agenda out there in the world. That is really what's most important. There's that second thing that's been like whispered in my ear. You guys probably know what I'm going to say. Toilet paper. If you're new to this project, you don't know why I just yelled out or fake yelled toilet paper. Let me quickly tell you. <laughs> toilet paper is really about being able to uh, buy bundles of of uh, buying excess uh, that would would indicate I, I'm living in a surplus. I mean, obviously, I'm not living in a significant surplus because if I was living in a significant surplus, I wouldn't be using that surplus to talk. You know, it would be about toilet paper. <laughs> but hopefully, you get the gist of it all the same. So there's a desire for surplus because in the surplus is the security. So those two are competing agendas for me. The the real agenda and the self-preservation agenda. And with that, I'm now going to go to the Enneagram book because, check this out. And then I guess I'll start trying to start trying to close. If so, let me give you a crash course on the Enneagram. I don't usually like to do this. I trust that if you come here, you have a basic sense of typology. But I suspect that most of you who listen to me are more into the MBTI because I talk about the MBTI more than I talk about the Enneagram. I say I'm an INTJ 8. I'll talk about that 8-ness, but I talk about more of those functions in the Enneagram. The eight functions. I don't talk about these nine personalities in the Enneagram. But anyway, let me give you a quick, quick, quick uh, crash course. So the Enneagram is based on nine personality types. Each of the nine personalities have what's called subtypes. All right. So let me say that. Let me start over. Nine personalities. They're grouped into three clusters. There's a head cluster, a heart cluster, and a body cluster. Each there are three types in each cluster, and they are all relating to a core emotion. I believe the core emotion for the heart cluster is loneliness. The core, the heart of the core emotion for the head cluster is fear, and the core emotion for the body cluster is anger. Nine types, three clusters. And then three types within a cluster. And within the three types in the cluster, you have what's called one counter type. And this is one counter type means that that there's one that's not going to look like is dealing with that core emotion of that cluster, but it really is. Anyway, 
once you get to the number, the individual number in the cluster, then you look at subtypes. <laughs> I love it. I love the robustness here. You look at subtypes. The, and subtypes are based on three instincts. Self-preservation, social, and sexual. Sexual means intensity, one-to-one intensity. Okay, that's all I can give you for today, y'all. So I'm an eight. As an eight, I'm I'm located in the body cluster. That's the cluster that's connected to the core emotion, anger. Oh, I said something that was wrong. I said something was wrong. I said every in every cluster is a countertype. That's not true. That's not true. In every cluster, well, it is kind of true. In every cluster, there's somebody who is denying that emotion. So there's one number that's overly connected to that emotion, and there's one there's one that's neutral, does not even understand their relationship to the emotion. And then there's another number that's denying, that's trying to deny the, the emotion. All right. There you go. You got to go do your own homework. So my number is eight. I'm in the eight. I'm in the anger body cluster. And eights don't deny the anger, nor are they oblivious to it. We know it. <laughs> for a long time, though, it was hard for me to embrace that I was an eight because of all the work that I've done in my development on trying to not be controlled by anger. And ultimately, what I was trying to, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want to be controlled by people. I don't want to be controlled by institutions. And I don't want to be controlled by an emotion. I don't care if it is anger. So I've spent much of my adult life trying to not be angry. This is another reason why it was hard for me to understand I was an eight. This is another reason why I was testing as a five and a one sometimes. Because of all the work that I've done to not be angry. And I didn't know the, I didn't know the Enneagram. So it wasn't like I was working with this theory. So anyway. So I'm an eight, and uh, and so then the three instincts, trying to figure out what's my instinctual stack. Am I social first? Am I sexual first? Am I self-preservation? I've already done this uh, reflection for you all, where I was like, I believe I'm a social self-preservation. That's what I believe. And then today I was reading the self-preservation, which I do often. Because I've always said I'm a social first, self-preservation second. And I have argued that that self-preservation is very prevalent for me. It's significant. But it's just not first. And I was like, how do I explain that? And that's one of the things on this paper. The membrane. I can't say it because I have a stuffy nose. Membrane. <laughs> I can spell it for you guys. Can I? Can I spell it? M E M 
B-R-A-N-E. Is that how you spell Bebrain? Anyway, hopefully you guys are following me. Well, the membrane of a cell is thinner than the cytoplasm, which is in the middle. And then you have the nucleus, this whole metaphor. If I got this right, y'all, the cell has a membrane and then you have the cytoplasm. I don't know why I think about that as the jelly, like the jelly middle. And then you have the nucleus. Well, my membrane is social, but it's thin. That means I don't li- I don't linger as long in the social as another person who has social as their first instinct. I live a lot in the self-preservation. So do you understand why that's been confusing for me? I live a lot in the self-preservation so much that my heart coach was like, I really think you're self-preservation first. I don't think so. I think I'm social first. But because I haven't been able to build that world, that would allow me to linger in the social. I don't know. I could hear a contradiction. Because some of you might be thinking, no, you're really self-preservation first, wanting to be social. <laughs> right? Because self-preservation eights can look five, like fives. Enneagram fives. And I've also read that they're the most introverted of the eights. So it would make sense. I'm an introvert. It would make sense for me to say that was a self-preservation first. But it's very tough because of, listen to when I talked about these agendas. I said, what's my primary agenda? I have an, it's the social agenda. It's the thing that I've been trying to do my career. In and out of employment. So I shouldn't even call it my career. It's my vocation. It's my calling. That's social. And it's so much where I've put myself in harm's way. I've not prioritized my material well-being. I haven't prioritized my financial well-being. My structural well-being. Those things are great. But when the when push came to shove, or whatever the expression is, I always chose the agenda first. So now I'm in my 50s. Yo, I can't keep doing that. So I'm trying to make different choices. So about a year ago, I was like, no, we are, we're going to honor and prioritize the self-preservation a little more. But it doesn't mean that that's first in my stack. It means I am making a willful, intentional decision to make decisions based on self-preservation. But the social is not gone. So in this particular job, the self-preservation part of me is like, okay, what do you have to do to keep that job So that you can be okay. But that, I can't even finish getting that out of my mouth. Because that's not me. I can, I'm talking to myself, y'all. I don't know what kind of, I don't know. 
I'm talking to her. I can totally hear what's, there's something happening in my head. I'm not going to be able to do that. I am not going to be able to be in that job if I cannot pursue the agenda. Nor am I going to be in that job where I'm going to be spinning for five years talking about why I can't, why I want to hit the agenda, but I can't. There's no way to hell I'm going to be doing that. Not at all. So what's the strategy? The strategy is I've got to be okay. Well, I've got to put some other things in place for my material, structural well-being, which I already knew that. So I have to play the long game to get those other things in place. And not even, there are a number of things that I have in place, right, for my well-being. Because self-preservation, while it's second, is still significant. So that's a, that's a big deal. It's second, but significant. And it's significant enough for me to strategize for it. All while pursuing the social agenda. This is where I wonder, and I love to talk to Dr. Beatrice Chestnut or any expert, because they talk about the social Enneagram 8 as being friendly, which isn't true. It's really friendlier. <laughs> because we're the color type. Hold on. I'm going to do a little reading. Uh, it's page 113 of my book. The social eight. Solidarity. Color, color type. The social eight is the color type of the three eight subtypes. Social eights represent a contradiction. The eight archetype rebels against social norms. But the social eight is also oriented towards protection and loyalty. They express lust and aggression in the service of life and other people. So... Let me, let me read another sentence. The person is a social antisocial. That is the perfect way to describe me. And this is a conversation that I had, I had with my sister on Monday that I really, really, really want to unpack with you guys. Because remember, if you go back to the episode called Triangulation, there was an episode called Triangulation. And there's one that I called The Inheritance. She comes up in both of those reflections. And uh, we had a really good talk about some phenomena that happens. That happen when we are together with other people. When it's just the two of us, no problem. But when other people are in our orbit, there's phenomena that's pretty consistent that shows up. And I've been theorizing it. If you go to, I've been theorizing it. You can hear it in those other two reflections. Well, I had a phone conversation with her on Monday. And we're confronting some of that. And I really am going to come back and talk to you about it because I am, I'm really thinking about the first time in 23 years to not To not go to her house for Christmas. For to be with my nieces. 
And it's just because there's a person in her orbit that is now going to be in that house. And I love it. Like I told her, you like it. I love it. I support you. Really do. But I have, what did I talk about about 10 minutes ago? I have been working on putting my body, my person in an environment that are conducive to my values. And you know, I can go into a values neutral space. It's like I don't need my values, my values to dominate other people. I don't. So I, I'm fine in a. Sorry about that. I'm fine in a values neutral place if that's if that's possible. But when people start acting out of their values that are contrary to mine. What I told my sister is that I don't want to spend my private time being muted and silent. That's the same thing, being muted and an imposter version of myself to make peace. Because she's one of the only people that would cause me to silence myself. Because of my love for her. She does not like stress. She does not like conflict. And we've and she doesn't like when I lean into people. She doesn't like it. And what I told her is that I don't walk around asserting my values on people. That's the one way I feel different from an eight. Unless this is my work or my house. I don't go into somebody else's space and assert my values uh, over them. I don't. I don't believe in that. But what's not going to happen is that you're not going to assert your values over me. You're not going to do that. And so this is about the, the social matrix, the social world. When you have, the social world is based on some social narratives some social constructs. Some social truths, what we accept, we don't contest it, we don't question it. And as a countertype, as an eight countertype, I'm like, yo, no, I'm not subscribing to that script. I'm not doing those norms. Those norms are harmful. Those norms are problematic. Not doing that. Thank you. And that's where the conflict happens in my sister's world. When I'm with her, I learned this from her on Monday because my sister likes being submissive because she likes, now these are her words, phenomenal, fascinating, but because she likes being submissive, she's attracted to dominant people who, and I, we realized it, that's who I've been to her as dominant, I'm a protector. But now she brings these other people into her sphere and they're dominant protectors. And they were clashing. And what has been very frustrating is that she holds me responsible. She wants to keep me, she wants me to be the peacekeeper. I'm like, I can't do that. I was, I was proud of myself because 
I have, she is the only one left where I have compromised myself to keep, not just, not really to keep peace with her, but to love her. And if I know that conflict stresses her out, as a protector, I'm going to do what I can to make sure my sister is not stressed. But my sister in the last few years is leaning more into these dominant kind of people. And I'm leaning more into who I am. And we just have to, the conversation on Monday was beautiful. And I guess I've told you most of it. I haven't given you the details, but it was beautiful because we could say that. She likes to, you want to be submissive? You bring people around you that you can be submissive to? Beautiful. I'm not going to do that. So we have a choice to make. I'm not going to go around people who are shocked. And then I get compared and contrasted to her as though something is wrong with me. I'm the problem. And it was just, it was just, this is the first time that she's acknowledged the kind of people she brings around. This is the first time I've gotten her to see it. It was good. It was good, good, good stuff. And I don't even think I had the words for it until she said she wants to be submissive. And she brought up the word dominance. I was like, yeah, you're right. That is what's going on. So anyway, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I don't want to be in her house with these people anymore. Because I'm now learning, I can love you differently. I don't have to, I don't have to love you. I don't have to silence myself to love you. I don't. I don't have to be an imposter of myself to love you. I can give you your space. I can support your priorities. I can even fight for you to have those priorities. I just don't go into that space with you. So anyway, you guys, I do feel like I'm really in a good spot in my life in terms of there's some, I'm going to do a, I'm, going, I'm growing, I'm learning. I'm in, a, I'm in a learning curve right now because it makes me think about the young lady at my job. My mother calls her my problem child. <laughs> uh, and I am old enough to be her mom, but I'm like, she's not a problem child. But what, what, what feels very familiar to when I think about this situation with her is that she wants me to enter in a space that feels safe for her but it's not safe for me. And she's got a, and she's having a problem with how I'm trying to navigate that space. What's safe for you isn't automatically safe for me. But this is how power works. We don't really expect us to have the same level of safety. But the way the hierarchy works is that some people have the right to be safe and others don't. And because of, I've been really thinking about how I naturally show up in the social hierarchy. I, I don't think I'm an alpha. I don't think I'm an alpha personality. Because I don't work at alpha personality strives to be alpha. Go back and listen to that episode I called the Alpha. They're just not just Alpha. You think that they are. 
They're not. They do things to be alpha. Go listen. I talked about the, my dogs. If you look at other animals in the animal kingdom, there are things that you do to secure and maintain the alpha position. I'm not putting my energies there. So because I don't put my energies there, I don't come across as alpha. But I am a dominant person. Not dominant over people. So that's, and I don't know, maybe dominant is not the right word. Because my sister called me dominant. I don't think it's dominant over people. It's dominant over my own self, my own body. I am going to be dominant to protect myself in my space. And I have no problems doing that. But because I don't come across as alpha, and because we live in a world that values people based on this hierarchy around the alpha, people come into my space and they make assumptions because I'm not doing alpha things that I am not dominant. And then they realize, oops, there's resistance. There's a dominance. And so I feel like I have to do a better job. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna walk around being dominant over people. I'm not gonna do the alpha game. I just, I don't have it in me to be honest with you. I don't have the energy nor the desire to do that. So, but I can sure as hell protect myself from people who want to play that game. I don't have to be around those people. And what's sucky about this is that that's, that's encoded into our social world. Unless you meet people who are disruptors. Unless you meet people who are, uh, what do you, what is it, what you call it in this book? Antisocial. And I always thought antisocial is being standoffish. I don't want to talk to you. That's not true. I would love to talk to you. But I'm not going to lean into those norms, those narratives that harm people. Let me give you an example because you might say harm. Let me give you an example. I got this thing. I'm unpacking this thing, you guys. You probably like, well, you just jumped from talking about your job to talking about your family. Now we're going to talk about the social world, but it's all connected. It's all connected. I was at a, my mom was in a hospital a couple of years ago, uh, a few years ago. I told you guys this story before. We were sitting in the, we were sitting in the lobby waiting for her to come out of surgery or something. One of my family members, these are my elders. These are people I respect. So this is that's an important part of this story. It was my, me and my sister, and then we were surrounded by our elders, by people who were my mother's age, right? Because they were there for my mom. And then one, one of my elders starts talking about a young lady Who stole a coat? Who stole a coat or a sweater? And yes, if somebody steals your sweater, that's problematic. I can get with that part of the conversation. 
That wasn't the problem. But when you start creating a narrative around this young lady who stole the sweater, I have a problem with that. When you say that this young lady doesn't have morals, she doesn't have values, she doesn't want to work, she's lazy, go buy your own sweater. I have a deep problem with that narrative. We could just say the young lady was cold and saw an opportunity because she didn't have the resources to get her sweater or coat. And more than likely, that's what it was. So then when I try to say that, they're like, well, go get a job. So now you're going to act like it's easy to get a job. We're talking, and by the way, the scenario was based on on these are black people talking about a black person. The person that they were talking about was black and the people in the room were black. So now go get a job. Do you understand the unemployment rate for black people? It's twice as high as is for white people. Why do you think that is, people? You're going to have to make a really tough decision right now. You're going to have to reconcile that unemployment rate one of two ways. Either black people are lazy and we don't want to work, or there are structures in the social world preventing us from getting those jobs. You cannot have it any other way. Now, some people may say it's both and. Get the fuck, excuse me, shut the front door. Shut the front door if you think it's both and. You shouldn't even come back to this podcast. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, this is not, this is not it. It's so easy to call somebody lazy. Anyway, I'm not going to go down this ramp though. But anyway, so in this hospital, I confront it. So then my elder starts trying to give me a lecture about these people. People, really people in poverty. I said, do you talk about people in poverty? Listen, I grew up in poverty and you didn't grow up. You did not grow up. All poverty is not the same. There's what's called situational poverty. And then there's what's called generational poverty. And you also have to consider you can grow up in poverty and still be raised with middle class values. Not everybody in poverty is being raised by middle class values because who's to say middle class values are superior? They're not superior. They're just, they're just valued in our society differently. So when this elder starts trying to lecture me on poverty, I'm like, no, I stood up. And then I said, this is classism. And if you don't like when white people treat you a certain way based on race, why are you having a hard time seeing what you're doing to this class of people based on a category of people based on socioeconomic experience? Anyway, it got tense, but because this was my elder, I didn't, I didn't yell, but I was, I was, I was holding firm, y'all. I was holding firm. Like I was pulling out those degrees, right? <laughs> My sister got mad and she left the room. She said she doesn't want the tension. So we got a problem. Now, what, what my sister is saying, can you not engage in those conversations? On the surface, yes, I can. 
But based on who I am, I cannot be complicit. Because Silas is complicit. Uh, what's the word? Complicitness? Complicity? That's what silence is. I will not be complicit. So what I'll do is leave the room. And I hate that. So my sister was like, okay, here's our strategy. You can say, when people say things that you don't agree with, you can say, I disagree, and then that's it. <laughs> I was like, what? She said, no, I'll take the ownership. You say, I disagree, and then I'll stop the conversation. You might as well, be, you might as well get ready. <laughs> you might as well get ready to stop a lot of conversations. <laughs> because as an anti-social social, like, no, just no. I'm not getting down with these social narratives in the social world based on a hierarchy that benefits and privileges some and disadvantages others. We're not going to do that. And that's my, that's my career. That's my occupation. That's my investment of time and energies. And I will not. I will not stay complicit in that. Just And I told her this. I said, just like you would want one of your white friends to be at a Thanksgiving dinner, and their uncle says something racist. You would not want your friend to be silent and complicit in that. You would not. That's how it is for me. That's how it feels for me. So anyway. So anyway. I feel like I've been on it a little. I need to start. I'm going to start bringing this all together. Because it's in my head it's all connected. It really, really is. These damn values and convictions. This is it. And the see what and I think about like the values and convictions for me that started let's I'm gonna jump over to the Migrants Breaks. F I in is third for me in my stack. So then I'm like, damn, am I an INF am I am I an INFP where that F I would be dominant? Here's why. I don't think so, because if that were the case, I would be choosing jobs better. I wouldn't take myself into a job and then four months later be like, oh my gosh, (laughs) my values are not in sync here. I would be looking for the alignment of those values faster. I look for other things for, you know, I make decisions not based on those values, which is something I said I was doing better in my 40s, particularly I said, I wrote a I wrote a blog series, I think when I turned 48, I said, I need to start picking jobs that are in alignment with my values. I said that three years ago, almost four, and I'm still struggling with that. So anyway, um, so I don't even know how to wrap this up. So the self-preservation me, I believe, will be okay because I'm not situating self-preservation inside of a job. My self-preservation. Has its several components to it. So that's number one. And that's, you know, I've worked hard. That's one of the reasons why I won't give up my teaching license. 
So no matter what happens in leadership, I will always be able to teach. There's always going to be a demand for that. That's self-preservation. And the other thing is, I, I'm going to have to reconcile this whole leadership by way of employment. I have to reconcile that and I have to have a strategy for it, particularly when that leadership is not aligned to promoting uh, values. Now, here's, here's, this is interesting. Let me say this. I would never take a leadership job that didn't allow me to strategize. See, that's what I look for first. That didn't, wouldn't allow me to strategize, wouldn't allow me to be analytical. I would never, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even entertain it. But I need to become as sensitive about the values component. Because I'm walking into these jobs that allowed, like, my current job, you let, you're allowing me to use this, my skill set. And all while now, I'm spinning in these, in a value conflict. I'm having serious conflict of values with these people. And I also am starting to think there's a skill level issue. That this is just not about value. See, these people are espousing values on one level. But I don't, like, um, uh, like, oh, general values versus specific values. So they're espousing values as though they're like general values. But when you get specific, when you get specific in those values, you live it. You don't espouse it. You live it. And I'm in an organization that's espousing a lot. They're not living it. That's good. I need to write that down. Yep. And I assumed when I heard you say this, I assumed you were living it. You were making decisions. Nope. And it could be because you don't have the skills to align it. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But anyway, if I had the knowledge that I have now, I don't know. Part of me says I chose it. Well, one thing I said in a previous reflection why I don't live, I don't, uh, I don't have a career where it's all about me being a social scientist. The self-preservation being what's the income associated with being an educator. And because it's a better fit. I was reading in this, um, in Gifts Differing. So in this book, Gifts Differing, on page 112, it says, routine production, I'm talking about INTJs, routine production would waste the intuition and purely theoretical research job, excuse me, and a pure and a purely theoretical research job would waste the extroverted thinking, which has a craving for practical application of ideas. That's the other piece of why I'm an educator. It's not just the material, the financial uh, strengths, but it's the application. It's the practitioner in me. I can't just sit around and theorize. I've got to do, I've got to implement. So I have to, I'm focusing on retirement now, my retirement. And I know, I feel like I got about 10 years 
I probably could get away with retiring sooner, but I'm like, no. I got about 10 years. And in the 10 years, I'm going to have to work to find leadership positions that are where I can live out my values. I don't care what they're saying. Stop looking for jobs where people theorize values. It's not about them. I need to be clearer on the values that I live. The application of those values. Just as much as I am clear about the application of my skill set. I've got to do a better job with that. I've got to. So, in the meantime, I've got to figure out how I'm going to be positioned in this job right now. Because I will not do this job if I cannot pursue that agenda. Because on one hand, I'd like to be like, well, just play the game. That has never worked for me, even though I've tried many times. Just play the game. I can't. I just can't. I, I, I hope I have a boss who doesn't want me to play the game. So I've got to figure out what is my best position while I'm there. I don't, even though tier two is tough, because, you know, these people, I, I am even at a place where I might sacrifice tier two for, for my strategy is like, let those people feel like they're doing something good, even though, though I want them to do something more. Give up on tier two. The agenda is not located in tier two. I thought it was. The agenda for me is tier one and tier three. Tier two is just something I got to go through the motions, put the, and then I can come back later and strengthen tier two when I can start influencing who's in tier two. But as long as tier two is comprised of people, that are theorizing values and not applying those values, I'm and I'm not going to be able to do much with them. So what I'm not going to do is get lost here. I'm not going to get lost in, in, in tier two. Not. This is good for me to hear. And now I have to make sure that I go back to tier one and negotiate with my boss about what, where does she want me to spend most of my time? And I told her this the other day. I said, I can do one-on-one with you all day long. I can do one. I can work with you and the other director all day long. I can build your capacity if you let me, if you want me to, right? If that's what you're asking me to do, I can do capacity building. I can share what I know. I can strategize with you, for you. I can do that all day long. But you cannot position me in a space where then I am working contrary to my skills when you put me in a public space. Because this is where we bump it is. She puts me in a public place because she's she's an extrovert. So she likes to be with these people, but then she wants me there by with her because she values me. But I don't <laughs> I'm not those people are a distraction. I'm I'm focused on the people in tier two. I can't focus on other people in tier one. And she's going to have to make a decision. And the more I talk this out, the better I'll be able to sell it to her. Because I don't think she's necessarily resistant. But I've got to be clear on it. So 
Anyway, I think I just worked this out. Number one, here's what I worked out. We're not doing espoused values. We're doing applied values. And number two, I've got to be as committed at this point in my life. I've got to be as committed to those applied values, my, my need for applied values, as I am with applied skills. I've got to do better. That. That's number one. Number two, continue to to own my well-being. Owning my world based on who I am. Not based on who somebody thought I should be. No. Owning my world based on who I am. That means making some tough choices. Maybe I can't. Maybe I don't go to for Christmas. And maybe if I go for Christmas, I just go for four days. And I don't spend the full two weeks there the way I've done in the past. Means about means making better decisions. That's number two. And number three. Being very clear with my boss about tier one hiccups that we're having. That's number three. And then number four, make it being at peace. That tier two. That's not where, that's not my, that's not the hill I'm going to die on. That's not the crux of the work. I thought it was. It is not. So I just worked out those four things, y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sorry. They're sorry this, that I was stuffy and I don't know how bouncy I was in this reflection, but I thank you. I don't know even know what I'm going to name it. Uh, anyway, but if this reflection has any value for you, please give it a heart. If my talking about work and family and the social world is uh, connected to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share with those participants. If my moving about in this reflection is caused some... Please take a link and share it with those participants. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, please find a way to share that with me. You can contact me on my website. At yournidom.wordpress.com or Twitter and YouTube. Or Twitter, yournidom1 and then YouTube and Facebook, yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. So I started the reflection off calling, saying strategizing for the long game. I still think that that's true. I might still name this episode that. Because I think that's what I just did. I came up with a strategy for the long game. For the next 10 years at least. But what's coming for me. You guys have been on hold. I've put you on hold for a minute. Because I was like what assignment do I give you. I've never had this happen before. Like I literally. Was paused for about. Three maybe three to five minutes. Because I can't. I couldn't think of an assignment. So what eventually came to me. Was first and second. First and second. What is your first and your second in terms of your priorities and your your convictions, your orientations? We have multiple orientations, by the way. And so I've talked about this a number of times in this project when you have competing values. I believe in family. And I believe in justice. And in my world, I can float around and I can love and do all the things I believe with associated with family. 
and I can do all the things associated with justice. And then, like what happened at the hospital, when those two values collide, they're competing, and I have to decide, what am I going to honor first? Family or justice? For me, it was justice. And that's a weird thing to say because value family is high on my list of values. But it will not, I will not allow it. I will not allow myself to, to be uh, implicated in harm. I will never do that. I pray to goodness that I never have to do that. Let me put it that way. But that's an example of a first and a second scenario. What is your first and what is your second? For me, another way I think we could talk about it is that instinctual stack. I'm social first. But I can no longer compromise the self-preservation. And I compromised that before. So I'm, so I'm still social first. But I got a healthy middle <laughs> for self-preservation. Or with my job. Tier one. Tier two. Tier three. What's first? What's second? Tier one is first. Tier two is going to be second for now. But it really is going to be third once I get get to tier three. I just got to go through tier two. I got to get through tier two. Might take a couple of years to do that. And then finally with my sister. Man, she's first for me. I love her to pieces. But we're not going to sacrifice herself anymore to love on her. Nor would I ask her to do that for me. I will sac. let me put it this way. I will sacrifice myself and my sister, but I will not sacrifice myself to the people that she puts around. Now, I got some strategies in place, right? I'm just going to say I disagree when a, when a topic comes up, and then I'll let her move in to do what she's going to do. I just go to another room. I'm going to do everything I can to love on her based on her sensibilities. If if I can do that and there's no conflict, fine. But I'm not going to compromise myself. And I'm not going to spend an extended period of time in an environment where I have to leave the room. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So what is your first and second? Where you have to put them in order. When the world is perfect, you don't have to. You can, they are aligned or they don't come face to face. They don't come head to head. But sometimes in the real world, they do. And then what would you decide? What are you going to decide? What are you going to decide when, it, when that happens? Thank you guys for hanging in here with me being sick. I think I'm getting ready to, I might take the day off because I don't feel good for real. I might take, I think I'm going to take a sick day. Imagine that. (laughs) All right, you guys. It has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.